whenever they open the doors and, and people are going to have to, you know, go back and, you know, find out for themselves what's, uh, what's left. Chris Phillips from the Ottawa Senators talking about life in his hometown after the fires. Some good news coming out of Fort Mac. We'll talk a little bit about that today. The fire not quite as big as the officials were expecting, quite frankly. And that has to be good news, especially since rain is still a long way off. Hello. Good morning. Brian Lilly here, Beyond the News. I want to give you a quick update. I spent part of the weekend with some great conservatives out in Canada. I told you about it. Many of you listening decided to come out. They they had an overflow uh, capacity at the breakfast out at Don Cherry's. And in true conservative fashion, maybe going back to old reform party days, they decided to pass the the hat, pass the bowl. It wasn't a Kentucky Fried Chicken bucket like they used to use in the old reform party days. But they had a big bowl, and the Canada Carlton Conservative Association raised $1,065 for our Rebuild Fort McMurray campaign over at the Rebel. And when I when I tipped that in last night, put us over $150,000, that, of course, being matched by the federal government and the Red Cross reaching out to us last week to say, hey, this is awesome work you're doing. We'll work with you. Make sure everyone gets a tax receipt. So we didn't wait for the Red Cross to come to us when this started last week. We just said, holy cow, something has to be done. Let's do it. We didn't call the Red Cross. We just said, something's got to be done. Move now. So that's the update there. And I think what you're going to see coming out of this town is a and and you're seeing it from across Canada, from the kids running lemonade stands to uh, to fundraising efforts that are going on everywhere, is Canadians are standing up and saying, we can make a difference, we can make a change. And it's good to see that attitude because I worry that at our leadership level, it's not there. Yesterday, of course, was Mother's Day. But it was also the anniversary of Victory in Europe Day. And I found myself sitting watching some videos of past leaders, leaders like Winston Churchill, who, after the Germans admitted complete defeat, went before the public to say these words. Yesterday morning at 2.41 a.m. at General Eisenhower's headquarters, General Jodl, the representative of the German High Command and of Grand Admiral Dönitz, the designated head of the German state, signed the act of unconditional surrender of all German land, sea, and air forces in Europe to the Allied Expeditionary Forces and simultaneously to the Soviet High Command. Today is Victory in Europe Day. Victory in Europe Day. And I wonder if we have leaders like Winston Churchill anymore. Perhaps I'm asking rhetorically. But now as we face off against ISIS, we don't even have leaders that will admit that we're at war with them. We have leaders that say, no, no, we're, we're not at war. No. What, what did Barack Obama call the, uh, the action in in Libya, the bombing campaign there. Kinetic action, I think, was the term that they were using. 
This is a worldwide problem. I'm not just talking Canada. I'm not picking on Justin Trudeau here. This is a worldwide phenomenon where our leaders are afraid to say what they see before their very eyes. I played Winston Churchill, great conservative leader, loved by conservatives around the world, not Barack Obama. He returned the bust of Churchill that the Americans had given them, packed it up in a box, it had been sitting in the White House for years, packed it up in a box, shipped it back. But, you know, Democrats in the States used to be all for fighting evil. FDR was a Democrat. His successor, Harry Truman, who declared victory in Europe Day, was a Democrat. This is a solemn but glorious hour. I only wish that Franklin D. Roosevelt had lived to see this day. General Eisenhower informs me that the forces of Germany have surrendered to the United Nations. The flags of freedom fly all over Europe. The flags of freedom fly all over Europe. Can you imagine our leaders talking like that today? Can you imagine them stepping up the fight against this terrorist threat that threatens not only instability in the Middle East, but launches attacks here in Ottawa, in Saint-Jean, in Sydney, in Paris, in Brussels, everywhere. And we get hand-wringing. And then last week, if you didn't hear the interview, you can find it on my Facebook page. We had in uh, Dalal Abdallah and Majid al-Shafi. Dalal is a Yazidi refugee. Her family had to flee during the Gulf War years ago. They landed in Canada, and now she's looking at what's happening to Yazidis facing a genocide, and our government cannot call it a genocide. They can't do anything about this other than say we'll send troops to advise and assist. We pulled back our bombers, but we'll advise and assist well back from the front lines. Dalal and Majed have traded for the freedom of three to 400 Yazidi former sex slaves, women that some as young as nine raped repeatedly. They, they were able to secure their freedom by essentially buying them. They traded goods in exchange for the freedom of these women. And they want to bring them to Canada as refugees. And they can't get the ear of the government. They won't declare genocide. They won't bring them in as refugees. Where is our Winston Churchill? Where is our Truman? Where, for goodness sakes, is our William Lyon Mackenzie King talking to his dead mother and, and holding conferences with his dog? I would settle for that today. We'll get Lowell Green's opinion in just a moment, and we'll bring up lots of other topics over the course of the day, uh, including the insane traffic situation here in Ottawa. I'm Brian Lilly, Beyond the News. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Follow the outrage on Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Give it to me, I'm worth it. Baby, I'm worth it. Oh, I'm worth it. I have a feeling Lowell Green's going to be giving it to me on a few issues here. Lowell, welcome to the program this morning. Uh, let's start off with um, the issue of leadership. The we I barely heard about the anniversary of VE Day yesterday, and I know as each year passes, I guess to some people it becomes less and less important. But without that victory, how different would life be? Well, I think one of the problems is there are many people on the left, a growing number on the left, 
who are actually ashamed of our role because we actually had to take part in killing people, uh, bombing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We, you know, we we know the opposition that's growing now about the bombing campaign, etc. So, uh, this is one of the problems: is that uh, we don't. Many of us, particularly those on the left, don't like to remember that in fact we did take part in bombing, that we killed a lot of people, uh, we had to do it, etc., etc. Uh, I mean, look look at the opposition, for example, now to the fact that we dropped or the Americans dropped two atomic bombs on Japan. This is somehow today in the in the, the eyes of many people a very evil thing when in, in fact it saved millions and millions of lives for goodness sakes including millions of Japanese lives. But, I mean I, I can't imagine having to make that decision. Uh, it would be a horrible decision to have to make and I, I'm sure those that that did it agonized over it. No, but I, you're I but you're right. I think it was an easy decision to make. I mean, it would save millions of lives. Well, which, I mean, all, all the history I've read said they did agonize, and in the end, said, you know what, you're it, what you're saying. It will save lives. The, the, the course, there, there, there are some parallels to the situation during the Second World War. You must remember that the United States refused to enter the war uh, in defense of its so-called great friend, just to the north, to Britain, etc. Only after it itself was attacked at Pearl Harbor did the United States enter. There was a very good chance during the early stages of the war that Britain would be invaded and conquered. Mm-hmm. And, and with it, Canada and the United States, the American people, refused to do anything to help. So this idea of standing by and letting evil take over is nothing new, that's for sure. Well, and you can In Canada, you can think of uh, the CCFMP, J.S. Woodsworth, who's got a school name for him here in town, was... Uh, Adamant that Canada not participate. But Actually, I, he was the only one to vote against declaring war. I, I think that uh, I do think that we have a, a lack of leadership. However, no, there's no question about it. The political correctness is is taking over. One, I'm going to tell you one of the reasons that Donald Trump has such support in the United States continues to amaze me. But one of the reasons I'm absolutely convinced is because people say, "Hey, you know what?" Uh, we don't agree with a lot of things that he's doing here. He's rough and he's crude and all the rest of it. But by God, he's his own man, and he's not afraid to call a spade a spade. And I think that's that's a large part of his uh, of his attraction, to be honest. Uh, talking about about leadership, let's talk for a moment or two about our good friend down there at Queens Park, Kathleen Wynne. As you know, the OPP is conducting yet another criminal investigation. This into so-called or believed to be missing documents concerning the uh, cancellation of the Trillium Wind Power Corporation windmills, okay? Mm-hmm. So somehow or other, Wynne now says, Kathleen Wynne now says, oh, I didn't know that the OPP were investigating. And the Trillium lawyers say, wait a minute, what the heck do you mean you didn't know? We told you a long time ago that we were that there was an investigation underway. So I, I don't know what's going on down there. We'll talk about lack of leadership. Uh, and she was uh, she was confronted, by the way, and I'll... Um... I know that it's making the rounds on social media. There's a really nice video done by uh, uh, Guy Annabelle out in opinion about um, Kathleen Wynne being confronted at the Shadow Laurier the other day by uh, a mother looking for the autism funding that the government's been promising for years. Of course, once again, the media, by and large, letting Kathleen Wynne and the Ontario Liberal Party off the hook. There was a feature, I forget which newspaper, they're all the same these days. The Citizen and the, and the Post appear to me to be almost the same newspaper, but that's, which is another story. But uh, essentially whitewashing Bob Shirelli, uh, you know, and, and, and what he is doing to the power situation, green energy, etc. The, the, the media continues 
to to give the, this liberal government a pass on a, on another it, issue. It, I only have a few minutes, yes, or I got to deal with another issue. Uh, somehow <laughs> or other, I don't understand how city councilors or anyone are siding with people in the Glebe or wherever, or in Sandy Hill or wherever, who who are complaining about overnight noise of the construction of the LRT. Why would you Why would you in any way want to delay construction? I mean, we motorists. And many others in this city have put up with ter- terrible inconvenience for years. Right. Well, I, so, I, I do on a daily basis, even getting from the bunker to the station. Precisely. So why, I mean, if, if motorists and, and others are, are being subjected to all sorts of inconvenience for years, why can't a few people lose a little bit of sleep? I mean, my goodness. Well, okay, let, let, let me uh, play devil's advocate here, Lowell. Sure. Sure. Let's say that they decide they're going to do some construction outside of your house. Yep. And there's a jackhammer going at three in the morning. Oh, I don't like How it. happy is Lowell? No, but that's not the ma- that's not the point. The point is is that uh, that any delay of this, and if we can't work at night, there's obviously going to be a delay. Means even further delays for thousands, or in fact tens of thousands of other people, such as yourself, trying to get to work. There are tens of thousands of people every morning trying to get to work stuck in terrible traffic jams, but somehow or other a few people are not supposed to lose, you know, a little bit of sleep because of a jackhammer? Give me a break. Well, I would think that maybe they could do the jackhammering during the day. I don't oh, think it goes on, on all day. But we want the construction to go on. No more delays. Get this job done as quickly as possible. I'm sorry that you lose a little bit of sleep, but I want to tell you, we lose a hell of a lot. Of, I, I lost uh, all sorts of sleep for years because I had to leave about an hour earlier in the morning to get to work. I can, I can tell you, it looks like a war zone going along Nicholas, where Precise. Campus Station get used to be. Get it over with. Uh, good news, we got 30 seconds left, Lowell. Good news is uh, the, the destruction of the actual town of Fort McMurray, not as bad as many feared. Uh, and and as has been reported, uh, yes, it would appear that the, most of the downtown core has survived. Hospitals survived, the graveyards, the the playgrounds, the schools, for the most part, have but survived. Unfortunately, many, many homes gone. Yes, a lot of homes, but uh, apparently not nearly as bad as first feared. So, uh, you know, plaudits and all sorts of accolades for the superhuman effort on behalf of the firefighters, who, the fact of the matter is, preserve most of Fort McMurray. Lowell, great talking to you. Chat Thank again you. tomorrow. Good morning, sir. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News. Back in moments. Join the resistance at Facebook.com slash 580 CFRA. Brian Lilly is here this morning. Am I in for Rob's note? Look, I'm getting emails. I'm getting calls. Rob will be back at the end of the month. He's just off for a little while. He'll be back then. Till then, you're stuck with me and my crazy music in the morning and my crazy ideas. I'm going to talk to you in a little bit, bring you part of the message. I might tease this out over several days, bring you part of the message that I delivered to the Canada uh, Carleton Conservative Association. Now, I know that some people were horrified. Oh, why is a CFRA host going to speak to a conservative group? Uh, because unlike others, I say where I stand and I don't hide it. I don't hide the fact that I... Lean that way. Am I a member of the Conservative Party? Hmm, No. No, definitely not. Do I care about conservative ideas? Yes. Do I want them to advance in the public square? Yes. And I don't hide that from you. I don't hide that from you on the radio. 
I didn't hide it when I had my newspaper column. I don't hide it on The Rebel. And that way you can take everything I say with a grain of salt. You can look at it through that lens, whatever you want to do with it. But I'm not like so many in the media that will claim to be neutral or unbiased and then shove their liberal agenda down your throat. And there's an interesting story about how even new media is doing that in ways that you wouldn't know, ways that you wouldn't realize. But I've noticed it. And now we're getting confirmation more on that, what Facebook is doing to hide conservative stories coming up. But first, last week I was telling you about go down, go down, see Kathleen Wynn at the Shadow Laurier, go talk to her, confront her, tell her your problems. And a bunch of people did. And by the way, if you want to do the same to Bob Shirelli, you have an opportunity to do that again later this week, because on May 12th, that would be Thursday, he's holding his annual Italian night fundraiser. I believe it's at Villa Marconi. Take him your hydro bill. Ask him to pay it for you. Leaders need to be confronted when they are doing something wrong. And it can be powerful if the media pays attention, which they often don't. It can be powerful. You remember Brian Mulroney was confronted over changes to OAS back in the 80s. He changed his mind. He backed down. Well, Rhonda Albiglass, I think I'm saying that correct. Am I, Rhonda? Yes. Okay. She is the mother that I was speaking about who went down to the Shadow Laurier, confronted the premier, and you had a meeting with her in yes, the I end. Did. Yes, for okay. about 20 minutes. Let's give us the backstory here first. Why were you down there protesting? I'm down there because my son, as well as about 3,500 other children, have been cut from the waiting list recently for the only effective treatment for autism. He's been on the waiting list for two years. Others have been on it longer. Um, They're now saying that the window for IBI, the developmental window, is between the ages of two and four. So they're trying to make that their new uh, waiting list. However, How how long have they been promising to deliver this type of therapy to uh, families like yours? Well, there was no there was no age cap until now. Mm-hmm. So we've been waiting since May 2014 for this therapy. And, and now that you're getting close to getting the therapy yes. for your son, yes, they're uh, saying, uh, "Sorry, you're too old." Yeah. Yes. Okay, so you went down to the Shadow Laurier, and and what was it like? <laughs> it was amazing. It was just I needed to be heard. I needed to I needed for Kathleen to look at my son's face. And basically tell me that he doesn't deserve treatment. So to see her actually holding his photo in her hands, knowing that I did my part in at least being heard by her was the most amazing feeling in the world for me. So you went down, you were part of a group. How did you end up getting a meeting with her? I think to avoid a further scene of crashing her luncheon, she agreed to a meeting. Uh, You you guys actually went in and... uh... And crashed it? Yes. Oh, wow. Guy Annabelle from The Voice, Capital Voice, Mm -hmm. came with me. And while we waited for Kathleen in the hallway, I was actually interviewed by CBC. Okay. Mm -hmm. So this is out there now. And uh, I'm just going to go and and share that on Facebook, actually. So if people, if they don't follow Guy, they can find it on my uh, 
my Facebook page. And Guy let, has it on Capital Voice right now. Yeah, let, let's spre- okay. spread this out there. So you have your meeting. What did she tell you? Did she just give you platitudes or did she, uh, she mentioned admit the that there's a problem? Well, she mentioned in the meeting the, that my child and the other children would receive the intensity of treatment that they required. However, when I showed her a photo from the ministry saying that they would receive treatment up to a max level of $8,000 per year in the new program, she was completely stupefied. She looked at the photo for so long, I had to ask for my, my phone back. And her response was, well, that information is not correct. I'll have to discuss this with the ministry because they will receive the treatment that they require. Now, then my next point was, so if my son needs 20 to 40 hours a week of therapy, he'll get that. And her response was yes. Do you feel like maybe she was just um, telling you what you wanted to hear to get you of out course. of there? Of course. Okay. Yes. So what what do you expect in terms of treatment for your son now? We're actually contemplating going privately because I don't know. I don't have much faith in the system. I know that with the new Ontario Autism Program, he's going to go on another waiting list, and he's already six. And the way it's looking, it's going to be years before he actually receives the treatment through them. I can't wait until 2018 or 2021 when the program is complete for him to get the treatment that he requires now. So right now we are coming up with ways to pay for the treatment ourselves. How much would that cost? I'm guessing I'm guessing a pretty 50 penny. To, Fifty to sixty thousand dollars a wow. year. Yeah. And and but you're confident that this will deliver results for your son? Of course. I know of several children and I, through the groups that I've been involved in, I've heard of many kids over the age of six that have gone from being nonverbal to speaking in full sentences in under three months. So and, and help help people understand uh, where your son is in in terms of on, on the autism spectrum. He's moderate to severe. Okay, so that means he doesn't speak. No. And and if if he doesn't turn that around, then as he gets older, it's going to be a very difficult life for him. Of course, of course. My little boy is so bright. He's so intelligent, and you can see that. And anyone that knows Quinn knows that he is a very intelligent little boy. And I think once he has communication, we're going to see so many changes in his behavior. His frustration levels will go down. The tantruming will go down. He'll be able to communicate with us, you know, that I have a headache even. Like yesterday, we noticed he seemed to be putting his head down a lot, but he couldn't tell us what was going on. And I said to my husband, I'm sure he has a headache. Something's bothering him. I think we should give him some Advil. And he actually went downstairs and got the bottle of Advil and brought it upstairs for us to give it to him. So but he knew what you were saying. He knew exactly what we were saying. But he, he, could, not, he could not even express, no. my head hurts. No. Wow. No. So we need this for him. All right. His teachers are very confident that... Now that the level that he's at, he would actually benefit the most from this treatment now, whereas at the age of four, I don't think we would have received the same results from Quinn. Rhonda, thanks so much for uh, for sharing your story with us and for taking it to the Premier. And Thank you. Keep, keep me up to date on, it's the email simple, it's beyond the news at CFRA.com. Uh, okay. Keep me up to date on, on how it goes, uh, whether you hear anything back from, from the Premier, from the government, or... If eventually you just get to the point where you you realize, yeah, we were had. 
But I hope you weren't had. I, I hope that you, you get what you deserve. She's at the point now where after cutting the program, she's looking for solutions. So it does appear as though we are making some enough waves that perhaps she's backtracking on this and trying to come up with a reasonable plan to help these families. And I hope that we aren't being had here. All right. Thank Th- you so thank much. Thank you, Rhonda. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. See, an amazing story. You can make a difference. You can go and protest. You can convince governments that they've made the wrong decision. You can have wins. Not Kathleen wins, but you can win. We've done it many times before, and we need to uh, recognize and celebrate when those wins happen, and, and this could be one of them. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. If you want to talk about uh, Rhonda's story or any, you know, we'll throw out some more issues in a minute, but um, I started off the show talking about leadership and a lack of leadership. Do we have the leaders like Winston Churchill, Harry Truman, FDR, William Lyon, Mackenzie King? Do they exist today? Are they out there? 521-TALK, 521-8255. We'll go to break early here. I'm Brian Lilly. Uh, Back in moments. This is Beyond the News. I have to start remembering what show I'm on. I'll get there. In a world gone mad, there must be resistance. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Yesterday morning at 2.41 a.m. at General Eisenhower's headquarters, General Jodl, the representative of the German High Command and of Grand Admiral Dönitz, the designated head of the German state, signed the act of unconditional surrender of all German land, sea, and air forces in Europe to the Allied Expeditionary Forces and simultaneously to the Soviet High Command. Winston Churchill speaking on Victory in Europe Day. Did you know that was marked yesterday? And where are our leaders like Winston Churchill today, we're facing down a threat like ISIS, and we have politicians that won't even say we're at war with ISIS. They won't even call it a combat mission when it is a combat mission. And unfortunately, we just lost one of the one of the few people in government that would speak out on that. And I'm not talking about Stephen Harper. Richard Vadden retired as the National Security Advisor. He's spent more than 40 years in the civil service, so it's time to retire. But I have a feeling that Justin Trudeau just didn't want his advice anymore. Fadden had been in charge of uh, CSIS at one point and spoke bluntly about things that needed said, including that too many in this country look upon terrorists like Omar Khadr as a folk hero. He said bluntly that there are countries that not only try and spy on us, but try and influence politicians to their own ends. He was one of the few people out there that would speak out. Where are our leaders like Churchill, like Truman, or even batty old William Lyon Mackenzie King, consulting his dog and holding seances with his mother? Where are they today? Do they exist? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Dolores is calling in about the interview uh, I did with Rhonda and autism. 
Yes, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Dolores. Uh, you are the third person on this talk show that I've spoken to about the autism uh, issue here in Ontario. Okay. The first one was Lowell Green, and a while ago I spoke to, um, uh, my goodness, uh, Rob Snow. And I, I want to remind people of my opinion of how heartless this woman is. Which woman? Let's be clear. Uh-huh. The, um, <clears throat> uh, my goodness. The premier? Yes. Okay, as long as that's what we're talking about, yes, yes, you're I'm free good. to go on. I'm a little bit nervous, but... Um, you're the... talking to me, little Dolores. I'm the easiest guy in the world to talk to. Yes, I know. I've met you in person, and that is so, but on the air. But um, I do recall, just after she was elected, there was a young lady and her mother who had a meeting with uh, the premier. The little girl, Madeline, was known as, who became known as Little Maddie, had a severe lung uh, disease. And they were asking this woman to please help get more hospital medical care for this little girl. And uh, the premier said, no, there was nothing she could do about it. I I remember Maddie's story. We took up her cause at Sun News and in the Sun Media Papers, and I I believe we were able to successfully get the, the treatment she needed. Yes, you did. Thank you all so much for that. But the following day, here's the point I'm trying to make. Uh, this uh, premier, Wynne, went marching off to a cheese factory the very following day who, was, who had burned to the ground, had insurance, were almost ready to open, and she handed them a $1 million check. Her candidate in that area was losing. Perhaps that had something to do with it. Perhaps. However, I mentioned perhaps they'd turn that check over to six uh, people, such as Maddie. And Lowell said, oh, no, no one would ever give back a million dollars. And I don't know if he was correct or not. I, I, I don't believe that. I, I believe that they took that check and cashed it forthwith. Yes. Why would they deserve $1 million when they were ready to open their doors and this little girl had been told with her mother? Dolores, this is a government that will cut health care funding but still gives um, subsidies to profitable companies. I mean, there are profitable companies that get money to hire people. They they don't even have the excuse of oh the company's failing they they need to uh, they need to uh, get some help they're profitable and she gives them money to hire people yes that's, so the, that is try, trying to make sense of of it might be a little difficult yes thanks for the call Dolores you're welcome I'm Brian Lilly this is Beyond the News when we come back you won't believe this story of what Facebook is doing to uh, suppress conservative news stories that are out there. Now, sometimes I watch the stories that I put out there on my social media, and I think that should really be taking off. Are people seeing it? Well, it turns out they might not be seeing it. 
because of steps Facebook is taking. We'll talk about that coming back. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, back in moments. Some days, the resistance verges on rebellion. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly, News Talk 580 CFRA. Former Facebook workers, we routinely suppressed conservative news. This over at gizmodo.com right now. The article reads, Facebook workers routinely suppressed news stories of interest to conservative readers from the social network's influential trending news section, according to a former journalist who worked on the project. This individual says that workers prevented stories about the right-wing CPAC gathering, Mitt Romney, Rand Paul, and other conservative topics from appearing in the highly influential section, even though they were organically trending among the site's users. Is this confirmation of another liberal media bias? I mean, we know that most journalists are inherently liberal. People ask me for advice on dealing with the media all the time, and I say to them, just assume that the reporter you're speaking to is a communist and go from that working point of view until they prove otherwise. Because I've been in enough newsrooms to know that journalists lean left. Now, New Democrats up on Parliament Hill will say, no, 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 they don't lean left. They lean liberal, big L liberal, because the New Democrats complain about it as well. But whether they, you know, support liberals or socialism or communism, just the fact is liberals lean left. You see it in the news selection. Sometimes it's not that they go out of their way to bash conservatives, but it's how they choose the stories, how they phrase the stories, what they decide they're not going to cover. March for Life this Thursday, May 12th. It's not a traffic story. It's the biggest protest in the country. How much coverage is that event going to get and what type of coverage? You're going to have 25,000 people up on the hill giving a pro-life message. Will they get as much airtime, less airtime on various news outlets than the half a dozen protesters that show up and rip off their tops? So we've known that legacy media is biased. Now we're finding out that Facebook is. Let me continue reading from... The article at Gizmodo. Several former Facebook news curators, as they were known internally, also told Gizmodo that they were instructed to artificially inject selected stories into the trending news module, even if they weren't popular enough to warrant inclusion, or in some cases weren't trending at all. The former curators, all of whom worked as contractors, also said they were directed not to include news about Facebook itself in the trending module. Facebook is a private company. They can do whatever they want. But my problem is when they claim to be that they're just, they're not pushing opinions, they're not pushing ideas, and there it is. They are. They're suppressing conservative news, boosting liberal news to support their worldview or the worldview or their owner. That's their prerogative. Just let us know. Let us know what level we're playing at. I can't tell you how many people I've heard from over the last several years saying that this is happening. Twitter, by the way, they're calling it shadow banning. 
Same sort of thing happening. Instead of you seeing everything that I tweet, you'll see less of it because I put out conservative viewpoints. So if you're following me on Twitter, maybe you have to go and actually check my Twitter page. Or maybe if you're on Facebook, you have to go to my Facebook page to see everything because it won't show up in your feeds because they want to suppress conservative viewpoints. Nobody knows how the algorithm that runs Facebook operates. But we're all on Facebook. Even grannies are on Facebook. Some of the most active users are grannies. It's not just for the unkids anymore. So people think that they're getting what they sign up for because you go on, you say, okay, I'm I'm friends with Joe, I'm friends with Mary, and I like this guy, and I like that guy, and I want to follow them. And you think you're getting it, but you're not. Are you shocked by this? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Got to also say, I am loving this story of the little boy in Whitby uh, that started a uh, lemonade stand. And he raised $2,500. Just a little kid. Five-year-old boy in Whitby. Uh, just reading it on the, uh, the CTV uh, news website right now. $2,500 he raised. Alexander Tuck spent Saturday afternoon running a lemonade stand with his mother, Danielle, to collect donations for the Canadian Red Cross relief effort. The two set up the stand outside a local shopping center in the town of Whitby, located 55 kilometers northeast of Toronto. Tuck's lemonade stand raised nearly $2,600 with many passers-by stuffing 10s, 20s, and even $100 bills into the collection box. The outpouring of support has been amazing for the folks in Fort McMurray. Now, what we have to hope is that this time it doesn't end up the way it did with High River. Because now we're into the part where, all right, the town's safe. The homes are empty. The premier is touring. Officials are back in town, but they're not going to let the people back in town. And this is where things went awry in High River. They started going door to door days after the floods were over. They were still going door to door saying, we're looking for pets. We're looking for uh, survivors. We're looking for people to rescue. And what they ended up doing was kicking down 1,900 doors. Some of them, they didn't even have to bust down. They didn't use a locksmith. They were literally kicking in the doors, causing even more damage than the floods. In some cases, they were doing it in areas that didn't, weren't even touched by the floods. And then they went searching for guns. And they confiscated hundreds and hundreds of guns and said, well, they weren't stored properly, and if we don't take them, then they could fall into the wrong hands because, I mean, it's wide open here. Yeah, it's wide open because you kicked down the door. They didn't follow due process. They didn't follow the law. They didn't follow even their own rules, and it caused an awful lot of mistrust. So I don't know if that's going to happen here in Fort McMurray, but we have to hope that it doesn't because there needs to be a level of trust between the police and the people they serve. And when that's violated, it becomes very difficult for the public to trust the police. I'm very law and order type guy. Very much so. But have you noticed that I'm often critical of the police? Do you think I have any confidence in 
what is it, the fraud unit of the Ontario Provincial Police? The one investigating Kathleen Wynne and her liberals yet again? No, I don't, because they violated that trust by taking forever to investigate things that they should have been investigating quickly, like the bribery issue, and then those charges are stayed. They don't investigate, uh, or they haven't laid enough charges in the, the gas plant scandal. I don't have faith that they're going to find anything in this latest one with Trillium Wind. Why? Because they have a pattern. Out in Alberta, these questions are front and center right now because the RCMP, which is in essence their provincial police, violated the trust of the people in High River. They violated the trust of the people that they serve. Some people had to be transferred out of there. Because they were living and working in that community, and then they just ran roughshod over civil rights. They ignored centuries, centuries of jurisprudence and legal precedent going back to the Magna Carta in terms of how police or the state can confiscate your belongings, and they didn't care. I mean, I'll tell you how bad it is. The first thing I heard, first time I heard about the fires in Fort Mac was because one of my contacts who's active in the gun community emailed me and said, will this be the next high river? And I had to look and say, what are you talking about? I had to follow through the link to the story to say, oh, the fires are that bad. That was the first thing that went to many people's minds. So we have to hope that that doesn't happen. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility if you want to join the conversation. Or you can email me, beyondthenews at cfra.com. By the way, if you want to, earlier on we were talking to uh, Rhonda about her, um, oh, that did not work. I was talking to Rhonda about her, her meeting with Kathleen Wynne for some reason. It did not get posted, but we'll fix that. Get it posted now. Go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Brian Lilly, and share that video. You need to watch great work by Guy in not only being there and shooting the video, but producing it. Facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. To you, he's rebellious. To official Ottawa, he's disdainfully insubordinate. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Apparently no one except those outside of my entourage really cares about Facebook being a, uh, a completely liberal website that... Um, a completely liberal website that blocks conservative news. A little surprised at that. Little surprised. Five two one talk five two one eight two five five star five eighty on Bell Mobility. If you want to join the conversation, also asking you about leaders. Where are the leaders of today? Do we have anyone that would even stand up for Western values leading us at this point? Yeah, we've got ISIS committing atrocities. We've got terrorists popping up all over the place, launching these individual self-styled ISIS attacks. And yet, our leaders refuse to say we're at war with ISIS. 
But North Carolina passes a bill that says you use the washroom of the gender you're born with, and all of a sudden every politician on the planet wants to talk about that, and there's boycotts by uh, boycotts by celebrities everywhere. Yeah, we we won't go play there. They'll go play in communist China where all kinds of rights are violated. They'll go play in communist Cuba where all kinds of rights are violated. But they will not play North Carolina. It's kind of a weird setup that we've got going on. It's kind of a, a strange culture that we're living in. I, I think Winston Churchill would just shake his head at all of it. I think FDR would shake his head at all of it. Do you see any leaders out there on the horizon? And I ask this specifically while we're looking at a conservative party leadership. Who gives you confidence for the future? Who makes you think, yes, that person, that person has what it takes. Now, I think Stephen Harper on on this issue of, of fighting the international jihad, I think Stephen Harper had what it took. He spoke plainly on the issue, even when his government would not say that they were Canada was in a combat mission. He spoke plainly on the issue, at least. He said that we were at war whether we wanted to be or not because they were declaring war on us. That's pretty basic, isn't it? It's pretty basic. It it seems like that should be the attitude now. Unfortunately, it's not. 521-TALK, 521-8255-STAR-580 on Bell Mobility. Or if you want to email me, it's beyondthenews at cfra.com. Albert in Thunder Bay, you're on the program. Hi. Uh, Hello, Brian. Albert. It's Brian, yeah. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't realize I'd get on that quickly. You got caught me by surprise. <laughs> not a problem. What's up today? Uh, have you seen the, the latest uh, uh, Sheila Gunn-Reed uh, uh, video about Earls and uh, so-called humane meat? Uh, n- I've seen the headline, and I know it's out there, but uh, I have okay, not watched I, it. Look, t- t- you better take a close look at that video, because it looks like what Sheila has discovered, that this so-called humane meat abattoir is, is, uh, is a halal ab- abattoir. On, under the guise of humane meat. Well, and, 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 I, and, I, and I know that, and uh, it, and, it and, has been... And, hold okay, on, one Albert. Of the, one of the things she's done is she has... Uh, I, I'm not sure how she's done it, but she, she has a video of, uh, of, uh, of, of a halal animal killing, and that, that, that will turn well, your guts. I kid you look, not. Albert? Quite honestly, any abattoir would. Uh, and uh, the only difference with uh, certification Brian, for halal, in, in, a big... Hold on, Albert. Okay. Certification for halal, a big part of it is um, having a prayer said over it. They're yeah. not advertising that, but Cold Creek Farms, which is where Earl's sourced its meat, uh, they, they've decided to do that. We don't have Earl's in Ottawa. Uh, the closest one is Toronto. They have said they're going to back down a little bit in terms of trying to work with to get more Canadian suppliers. I mean, this is is a company started in Edmonton. 
So does it's, that it's mean heart, that the, it, it, it's it's heart and soul is in the middle of cattle country, and they were refusing to use Canadian beef, but now they're going. They say they're going to, but they're they're using weasel words on it. Their their uh, locations here in Ottawa would be Joey's and local. And my understanding is that those two associated restaurant chains say, nope, we're still using Canadian beef. Well, uh, I, uh, I think everybody should see this video. Uh, I, I agree. Well, I, I, I agree, that, everyone. That, Go that, ch- uh, that abattoirs are not a great place. However, uh, uh, our method of killing the, the animal is tranquilized and dies very quietly. It doesn't die in absolute terror. The, the, from what I've seen on this. All right. Well, if people want to okay. see the video that Albert's talking about, it's up at The Rebel, therebel.media, and uh, just look for Earls or Sheila Gunn-Reed. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back after this. Every revolution starts with a rebel. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News. To your calls in a minute, but first, just had a, a friendly face that I haven't seen in a while walk in. Stuntman Stu, just touring the building. You, you were out and wanted a beaver tail and then popped into work? I just wanted to make sure that my uh, building pass still worked. <laughs> and it does. Do you, you have, have you ever heard the old joke about radio? Don't take vacation. You won't have a job when you, you come know, back. It's been a bit of a long vacation, yeah. but uh, hopefully it won't be that much longer. Okay, so where yet and how are you doing? Because I, I try and follow on social media, but uh, you know, I, I think you're being streamed out of my thing. You must be a... <laughs> You must be a conservative on there. I don't know. I'm joking. Uh, Where am I? So I had some chemo this morning and some radiation. Uh, The radiation will continue. I've got uh, a few more rounds of that to go. Okay. And that's all part of the process. Uh, And the bone marrow transplant is scheduled for later this month. And then once I get that, then it's, uh, you know, three months at least to to recover at home. And uh, then it's a brand new stew. Okay. It's so like you got all new parts put inside. Exactly. You, got a, you got a transmission replacement or an engine replacement? You, you used a car analogy I did. with your kids. I showed my kids a little uh, uh, model car at home, and I said, see this car, this classic car? I said, the engine doesn't have to be replaced because daddy's heart is okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the exterior is still going to look the same, but we're just replacing the wiring, and we're just replacing, uh, in, in my case, it's the fluids. It's a transplant of the fluids. So where somebody would go in and get a liver transplant or a lung, a lung transplant, mine is just of the fluids with the bone marrow transplant. Well, you're looking good, my friend. Thank bald, you. bald suits you. Did, you. did you know that beforehand? I didn't, and I was worried about that when my hair was falling out. I was, I was worried, you know, will the dome look good? And, well, and it, it's, it works. You don't know what shape your head is until all the hair is gone. And, yeah. and I can tell you I've got an odd-shaped head. I, I learned this, at least I did when I was 14. That's the last time I shaved my head. I went to Army Cadet Camp. Okay. They shave your head, and you're like, whoa, okay, uh, not quite as round as I'd hoped. Well, and uh, my wife is okay with it, so yeah, yeah. maybe a keeper. There's a lot of women that think bald is sexy, so you got to hope for that. <laughs> I'll, I'll, you know, what? Are you looking through the window? Is Connie back in there? No, no, no. <laughs> the, the producer Dean from Magic 100 is also back there. Yeah. And I, I yeah. have teased him uh, nonstop. <laughs> I have teased him nonstop for five years on our show about being follically challenged, and now, you know, him and I look like brothers. <laughs> all right. Stuntman Stu. Stu Schwartz from Magic 100. And, of course, The Sense, good seeing you, and all the best. Thanks for the opportunity. Appreciate all it. Right. Let's go to your calls now. Uh, Jim up in Renfrew calling in about the Facebook. 
Hello. Hello, Jim. Yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure about your conservatives being, um, like, the views being suppressed on Facebook. But I can definitely tell you 100% that they've banned all gun sites that uh, sell firearms, which to me, uh, you know, I don't hear anybody screaming. It's a 100% legal product being sold amongst adults, and nobody says anything about that. Uh, I'm not sure that, have I done Facebook and guns? You, you know, I've done a pile of gun stuff over the years. I can't remember if I've done that one. Uh, well, but I know several- some, of the, some of the banks have tried that as well, and, and I've done that story. But I, when I'm posting stories about guns, and, and not about selling or anything, but if I'm doing a story about a gun, I have to be very careful about the photo that I use um, because they have strict rules around that. Now, the, these are these are employees, former employees saying this is what we did. This is what we were told to do. These were the instructions. This is how it worked. So I'm going to take when it's several employees, I'm going to take them at their word. I, and and I, I'm sure there, it's probably 100 percent correct. But like I say, I just know. For a fact that all gun sites, there was a few up here, the Ottawa Valley Hunters and that, and and we got uh, you know notification on our Facebook that no gun sales can be posted, and if we do, they will be immediately removed. So, if this was a um, uh, a gun, <clears throat> excuse me, it, was it like a, a a gun support group, like a bunch of guys up the valley that like it, and then somebody would post and say, "Hey, I've got a Browning for sale." Exactly. Uh, it's, it was called Ottawa Valley. It's, the site still exists. Um, you can trade hunting items, so on, you know, yeah. and uh, the, but the, no gun. The, the, the sale of it might have to do with American law. I'd have to look into that and, and how they um, how they do online sales. It could it could be that. But I know that they are very squeamish about guns. It's probably in line with their their liberal attitude to to not like guns and guns are for conservatives which is false i know many liberals that own guns but uh, you know i think it's just part of their overall world view jim it's the same one that has them banning or playing down conservatives that would have them banning the guns yeah and unfortunately you know all i hear from the liberals is how i'm supposed to treat everybody fair and and you know all this sort of stuff and equal rights for everybody. Well, where's my equal rights as a gun owner? I'm vilified every time I turn around in the press, in the media. It's it, other than you guys at the Rebel, uh, we would have nobody. Uh, and I appreciate you for that. It's uh, you know, I'm I'm still not a gun owner, Jim, but I do it because it's a, a fundamental injustice. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Mike in Ottawa calling in about the war on terror. Yeah, good day. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Do you call it the war on terror, or is it a war against ISIS, a war against um, the international jihadi movement? What? Well, I, I don't know what it is, because as far as I'm concerned, it's not that we're not fighting a war, So, they, but it, uh, everybody seems to call it a war. Well, what are we fighting then? I have no idea, because uh, according to the politicians, uh, we're, fi- we're fighting ISIS, but that's not considered a war. Dropping bombs on them, that's not considered a war. So I, I don't know where we stand on this. Like, you know, it, it, I chuckle to myself sometimes that, you know, when I hear I hear the politicians talking about, you know, this great, uh, great force of about uh, an estimated twenty to 40,000 troops, it, it, you know, and they don't even have an Air Force, they don't have a Navy, you know, and they don't even really have to speak of, I know they have some armored personnel carriers and everything else, you know, 
they could be wiped out in the matter of weeks. You know, it's it, NATO. There's 28 countries. I'm just going to give you an example here, and I and I did the math on this. There's 28 countries. If each country was to pony up uh, a pitly 2,000 troops, that's over 50,000 troops to deal with that problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to say that it's a war, and and that's another thing we've well, got. They, they have declared war on us, Mike. They specifically on Canada. I know, but according to politicians... Well, but they're full of garbage, is my point, that we don't have the politicians of the caliber that we once had. And you're absolutely right, because if you, if, if the government was to declare war on this, then they'd have the, the authority and everything else to, uh, to round up all these people in this country who were uh, aiding and abetting the enemy, as far as I'm concerned, and com- committing acts of treason during a time of war, which they will not call a war, and uh, put them where they belong, which is behind bars until this matter is resolved. Yeah, I don't think we'll ever see internment camps again. I'm not sure that's a bad thing either. I know what you're saying, but you you can't just round up a pile of people because of their viewpoints. If we had done that during the Second World War, uh, perhaps we wouldn't have had a uh, first Prime Minister Trudeau. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Okay, bye. Let's go to uh, Kevin in it just says Eastern Ontario. You, you're in a very large area, Kevin. I'm actually traveling all over the place right now. That's why, uh, uh, Brian. Okay. The only thing I want to, the only thing, Brian, I would like to to point out to you. Um, this is about I, autism. And I'm talking, and I'm talking about the lady that called in regarding the, auto, the autistic child. Mm-hmm. I think there's a very big breakdown in the system, and let me explain to you why. I have two special needs children myself that are now uh, both adults. One is 18. One is 21. But back during the course, the course, we're going back maybe about five, even up to ten years ago, uh, in certain cases, we were fighting basically a system that, unfortunately, a lot of parents with special needs children are in a limbo. And let me explain you the reason why. When it comes to an academic situation, before the child is able to be identified, which is basically a psychoeducational profile, the waiting lists are astronomically large. And the, the thing th- is, this is just to, to get a diagnosis. Correct. This could go up between two up to even four years. I've seen it, and certain, and it all depends on how much money is given to the actual school board's budget to be able to have these psychoeds done in certain special needs cases for children. All right. Now, once that's possible, the parent, any responsible parent, is going to seek a, 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 any kind of an opinion from their medical practitioner or their pediatrician. Well, their pediatrician, because it's out of their scope, potentially their scope of, of professionalism, where are they going to send these children back to? They were a regional hub, which the regional hub is the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario. Hence, again, they themselves, the parent, go back onto another waiting list to be able to get either an evaluation, and, 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 th- and this, is, this is very, very, very commonly known. I mean, the, the, the CHEO... Uh, team are doing absolutely best, and I certainly commend them for everything that they do for our children. Don't get me wrong, Brian. But fact is, they are compressed by their limited budgets as well, limited staff, with a surplus of demand. Yeah. And unfortunately, what happens in a case like this is parents of children with special needs, we're in a limbo as well because we, as parents, are trying to act and do everything that we possibly can as responsible parents to do the best for our children. Then later on down the road, when if the evaluations become to any point at all, Brian, either A, they're, they're delayed academically, which they have to catch up to, and unfortunately, 
it's not always the case in certain many cases. Or by the time they get clinical diagnoses, in order to correct the problem or to try and rectify the problem between the medical needs that the child has and potentially the educational needs that the child has, it's too late. It's far gone. That's where the breakdown in the system, which I feel is happening, Brian. And And I'm not the only parent to feel this. What you're describing to me with the waiting list is how we control costs in medical care. In a government-run system, uh, we hear down in the States, oh, the insurance company cut me off. In a government-run system, they control costs by rationing. And we accept it because we accept a government system without question. We, 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 We accept this rationing that were it happening with a private company, we would be screaming about how they're not, they're, they're not fulfilling their mandate. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And, and it's awful for you and your family and all the other families that have to deal with it. But for some reason, as soon as it's a government program, we are willing to accept waiting lists. We never would if, and we pay for our healthcare. It is not free when 40 to 50% of the provincial budget goes to, Health care. How many thousands of dollars are you paying for your family's health care out of your taxes each year? Agreed, Brian. Look at how much. Let's go back a few years to 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 the uh, the wasteful money that was spent during. And I don't want to get into that, even that topic. But let's take a look into what the the uh, the um, uh, the the uh, well the problem that we that everybody knows about with uh, telehealth and so on and so forth. I mean, there was millions and millions of dollars that was, that was uh, allocated at that point. So, I mean, we have to sit back as responsible Ontario citizens and Canadian citizens and say where, and as parents, for that matter, of children mm-hmm. themselves, and say, listen, how much are we willing to put up with? A, a parent, and, you know, a, and, 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 you know, unfortunately, and I just want to bring this up, because quickly. there's another system, Brian, just a minute, please. There's another <laughs> system that's actually being affected as well. And you know which system that is? the police forces, and the judicial system. Because these children, unfortunately, if they are not properly diagnosed, then unfortunately, there's a lot of these children that become adolescents, and adolescents end up getting themselves into a problem with either the law or criminal activity or so on and so forth. Or they're, they're living in the shelter down. down the street. Kevin, got to run. Thanks for the call. Maybe Canadians will stop putting up with it one day, but right now, we put up with an awful lot just because it's a government system. Beyond the News, Brian Lilly, back in moments. Insurgent, believe it, the resistance is here. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly, News Talk 580 CFRA. Dave in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News with Bilal. Hello, sorry. Dave. Yeah, sorry, is that Dave? Yep, you're calling sorry, in about I traffic. Yeah, I didn't uh, didn't hear the name, sorry. Okay, so I got uh, three points, actually six points, but if you want to give me for six, then that's fine. <laughs> All right, the, go, go quick. Okay, traffic circles, a uh, lady called back in uh, 6th of May talking about uh, pedestrians waiting for traffic versus traffic waiting for pedestrians. Um, thing out in in uh, Barhaven and and, uh, and and Canada, basically the same thing. They've got the signs in there. Some some traffic circles say uh, uh, one, one one another traffic circle says the other. It should be pedestrians wait for the traffic. Period. Because if you have to try to figure out if it's this, if it's that, 
then you're yeah, going you to have problem. you got to have clear rules. Next. Yeah. Okay. So uh, now the on that one, the experimental farm. The reason uh, that people are were uh, possibly waiting for uh, for traffic to come in is because experimental farm used to have one uh, back in the fifties. Cancelled it about two three years ago. Um, then politicians, uh, current government corrupt. I don't have much more to say about that. <laughs> uh, ISIS. Um, a guy called up and he said, uh, it's not called a war. And to that, I'd say, are you serious? Uh, uh, apparently he is, and so are an awful lot of other uh, Canadians, in, including our political leaders. Well, uh, you already heard what I said about the politicians. Got, got to go to Gloria next, but thanks for the call, Dave. All right, let's go to Gloria calling in about Facebook. Last yes. word to you, Gloria. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Listen, I just want to say, I think that uh, Mark Zuckerberg, he thinks he's invented uh, free speech now, and it's just for him and no one else. And now all of a sudden we find out he's a flaming, controlling left-winger who thinks he's got the right to control what we think and we read or, or, or write. And the, the thing is... I mean, if that's the case, then there's really not much uh, use being on on uh, Facebook. But the he, the, he, the problem is that it's a platform that we all use. It's his. He owns it. That's right. He can do what he wants with it. But we've all gotten used to using it. So how do people uh, spread their messages that uh, that they want to spread online? It, it, it is the most powerful force online. There are other ways to do it, and there is, and, and, and we'll try and figure that out if we I, we end up being banned at the rebel. I tell you what, he needs to be brought down to earth. And the thing is, if people stop using Facebook, in no time at all, his empire would fall and him along with it. Because in no time at all, there would be another startup company offering the same thing. But they'd think twice before they pulled a Mark Zuckerberg. That's for sure. All right. Thanks for the call, Gloria. Thank you. And in fact, some of the gun guys have already done that. National Firearms Association, uh, they've pulled uh, pretty much pulled off of Facebook. They're going to... uh, Trying to remember the... The name of the group. I'll look that up. But coming up next, don't go away. Coming up next on Beyond the News, do you know how badly you're getting ripped off by the taxman when you buy a new car? Details next. A rebel? You know it. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News. People are asking where Rob Snow is. Don't worry, Rob will be back. He's just off for a while. He'll be back at the end of the month. For now, hey, you get me, you get music, and uh, you get all the magic that is below. That's that's all. Yeah, I occasionally, annoyingly talk about myself in the third person, mostly to make myself laugh and sometimes the guys in the control room. And maybe it makes you laugh, too. Aaron Woodrick isn't laughing about uh, the, the next topic. Aaron is, of course, the national director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. And Aaron, uh, you and I talked about this for the Rebel last week, and I, I thought it still hasn't received enough attention. It's it's worth bringing you back on to, to fill us in on what this is all about. The, the tax man taketh and taketh some more, doesn't he? Uh, this is about new cars, but the HST uh, being applied even when there's a discount. Yeah, you're right, Brian. I don't know if I don't laugh. Sometimes I laugh out of despair that uh, governments always seem to come up with new and creative ways to soak us one way or another. 
And, you know, you don't have to be a low-tax uh, zealots like us to, to realize that if you are going to tax, you should be open about it. You can't do it by stealth. You shouldn't do it in hidden ways. And what we're talking about here is essentially the government's finding ways. When you go buy a new car, a lot of folks go into a dealership. You get uh, something called an automatic rebate on the spot. So if you buy a car for, say, $25,000, um, they'll often offer two or three grand off on the spot. That's calculated into the price. But what a lot of people don't know is you're forced to pay your tax. You're forced to pay the, the HST on the full price, not on the discounted price. And there's no benefit to the dealer for that. They're not getting anything. But the government taxman is scooping, in some cases, hundreds, in some cases, thousands more dollars, because you're forced to pay price on a ta- on a tax on a price that you didn't actually pay. See, you, you said maybe you get $2,000 off. I drove by two dealers this morning on the way in that showed $10,000 off a new car. Yeah. That is a $1,300 hit on buying that new car. That's incredible. Yep, and there's no benefit at all to the dealer. Let's let's be clear here. I'm not at all accusing the car dealers themselves of, of anything shady. Um, they say they're being forced by CRE to do this. These are the rules, according to Canada Revenue Agency, is that you have to charge the tax on the full price. Now, part of their argument is, well, the car dealer and the car manufacturer are two separate companies, and so therefore, you know, any rebates, you know, you're getting, you're paying the price to one, and you're getting the rebate from the other, that means you still have to pay the full tax. But I, I think that's a little too cute for most people, Brian. When you go buy a Ford or a Honda or a Hyundai, you don't really make any of that distinction. From your point of view, you pay the price that you pay. You're out of pocket whatever you pay, and you shouldn't have to pay tax on some imaginary okay. number above that. Hold on. I don't understand this difference difference between the dealer and and the manufacturer. What's their reasoning again? Well, the reasoning is you're paying you're paying the money to one, the dealer, but it's the manufacturer, the people who make the car that are giving you the money back. So from there their argument is, well, you're really paying in theory you're paying Oh, the, what you, a load yeah. of hogwash. <laughs> yeah, okay. So let let me put this in a smaller term. If I go to the grocery store yeah. and I buy butter yeah. and I've got a coupon that's essentially the same thing, but I don't pay the extra. Well, okay, maybe groceries are a bad idea. They don't use tax. But if I go to Chapters, yeah. they put something on sale. I don't pay the full the tax on the full price. No, that's right. Uh, if if uh, but then again, it depends. If, if say you go to down to Chapters and it's a Chapters coupon, you're not paying on the full price. But let's say if there's a series of books and you had a coupon for that book. So you bought a travel book, a Lonely Planet book, and you had a Lonely Planet coupon, they would charge you on the full price because their argument is you're paying the full price to chapters and Lonely Planet's giving you the money back. But again, as a consumer, as a citizen, are you really thinking about these distinctions? All you care about is what are you out of pocket? That's how much I should be paying tax on. $1,300 mm-hmm. on, uh, let's see, it was, uh, I think I passed by a Kia dealership with that, uh, a Hyundai dealership with that. Other places are offering, I guess you're not paying... Uh, tax if it's zero percent financing, so that's okay. But any of these instant rebates, and we're getting hosed. A- and their rationale is difference between the dealer and the manufacturer. Yeah, it's it's really outrageous. Uh, has this been going on for a long time? Um, I mean, I'm just hearing about it now. 
Yeah, it has. It has, Brian, and it's uh, it's 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 really uh, it's really discouraging. You know, as we say, if governments are going to tax, they should be upfront with people. Make your case. Why do we need to do this? Don't try and find sneaky ways to jab people here and there, especially when we're talking about things like cars, which are a necessity for most people, very expensive. Um, you know, in this story we were talking about, is more than a billion dollars a year of cars are sold in this country. I mean, it is not small amount of money, and so this gets start adding up into hundreds of millions of extra revenue. Canadians could use that money, and it's just not right the government's taking it this way. The uh, CRA apparently is um, vigilant on this, and I know the dealers are dealership and the dealership association says, "Look, we have to do it, and if if we don't, we're we're among the most uh, audited businesses in the country." So I guess they feel like they they've got the guns to their heads on this one. Yeah, absolutely. They're just complying with what they think they're being told. Um, as any Canadian will tell you, a lot of times when you're dealing with CRA, they're the ones calling the shots. So you have to be careful about that. CRA themselves is, is doesn't want to talk about it uh, at the at the uh, bureaucratic level. Um, I think maybe it's incumbent at this point for it to go up to the political level. I think our politicians and our revenue minister should answer questions about this because it is, as I said, a substantial sum of money uh, that a lot of people uh, can't really afford to shell out for. All right. Speaking with Aaron Woodrick, he is National Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation about a story that hopefully does come up in question period. This is outrageous, although it would be funny. It would most likely fall to the Conservatives to ask about something that happened on their watch as well. Whether they knew about it or not, I don't know, but it did happen on their watch, and that is that when you get a rebate or a discount on a car, you are paying the full GST price. So on that $10,000, you're going to pay $1,300. Uh, just looking at one example, um, uh, you're going like, to Honda's offering um, a uh, $4,500 discount off on on its Acura right now. You're still going to be paying th- a few hundred dollars there. Uh, Aaron, I want to ask you about one other topic, and that is that um, Bombardier. We've talked about it many times. We've got about two minutes left. I wanted to get uh, your take on on what's happening now. Do you think it's a done deal? Ian Lee was telling me last week he thinks it's a done deal. I know the government's been playing coy for some time on giving a billion or more, but Ian Lee thinks it's a done deal and that the the feds are going to buy shares in Bombardier, much like they did for Chrysler and General Motors, and that way they can say it's not a subsidy. Yeah, well, I certainly hope it's not the case. Uh, you know, we, we have given them credit for not just simply opening up their wallets when Bardi came calling. Um, they've said a lot of, of good words. Um, that's got to be backed up by action. And unfortunately, you know, there is a long, long historical precedent here. At the end of the day, governments usually roll over and hand over the money. So, you know, would a share purchase be better uh, than just handing over the money? I guess marginally. Uh, but the, the the point doesn't change. The taxpayers are on the hook for any risk. If the, ta- if the shares tank, the Canadians are going to be out of pocket. All right. Aaron, thanks for the time. Thanks a lot, Brian. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News. Uh, Want to hear a quick poll. 521-TALK, 521-8255. Quick poll. What do you think of having to pay the full GST on even the discount that you get when you buy a new car? Are we being hosed? Are we being robbed? 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Don't uh, don't go away. We've got Stephen Taylor coming up on this whole Facebook issue. We got Dean Brown, play-by-play voice of the Ottawa Senators. He's coming up at one thirty today instead of twelve thirty. Why? News conference will be starting soon with Guy Boucher, the new coach of the Ottawa Senators. He was in the building earlier. 
Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, back in moments. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. So I guess the the fire started about a week ago now. By last Tuesday, it went from being um, something that firefighters were dealing with outside of town to something that was threatening town to a full-on evacuation. And along the way, we've been checking in with CTV Edmonton's uh, uh, Bill Forche. He is a reporter and anchor at uh, our CTV affiliate there, and he's gracious enough to join us again now. Bill, you're back in, in Edmonton now. That's right. Just got back at about uh, 2.30 this morning and back at work uh, as of now. Oh, wow. No, Wow. It, uh, it, it must be something. I mean, you've been up to that area many times. Mm-hmm. You saw it before the fire. Uh, were you able to get into town? I know they started letting uh, people drive through down from the, uh, the work camps. Mm-hmm. I know that the, the premier's going in today. Were you able to see what kind of damage was done to town? We uh, we were able to get some exclusive footage, uh, news footage yesterday that showed us uh, big big portions of the town. Uh, we were able to report yesterday that, uh, and that was new footage that there, you know, the flames uh, were gone from downtown for the first time. We were able to see, you know, with our own eyes that, yeah, the flames uh, were gone that uh, throughout the entire city, Fort McMurray, and that uh, there was a lot of damage, but. We were able to see what was still standing uh, in downtown, uh, you know, to the to the naked eye. And, and so w- I'm I'm hearing that most of the infrastructure for the town mm-hmm. was not seriously damaged. I don't know if it's somewhat damaged, but we're hearing that uh, the hospital's still there. Yep. Uh, schools were were for the most part okay. Is that all true? Uh, well, I mean, yeah. From what we were able to see, there was a, a really interesting uh, with in one neighborhood, Abbasand. Uh, it's called and. You know, most of the neighborhood is gone, and then there will be one house here or there or a block here or there, a, you know, a cul-de-sac where all the houses appear nearly untouched, except for maybe some melted siding. Uh, then there's a school in the middle of rubble standing, and it looks as though it's untouched. Uh, same with downtown, uh, the hospital, yeah, uh, the provincial building. Uh, n- a number of, you know, key critical public infrastructure pieces, you know, to the naked eye, appear to be untouched. Now, you know there's probably going to be some damage. There could be water damage, sprinkler damage. Smoke uh, you know, damage. Smoke damage, exactly. But but certainly not as bad as being scorched, burned down. Okay. Uh, the premier goes in today. Right. Uh, and, and I know residents are starting to say, hey, what about us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that planning starts today as well. Um, you know, obviously people are saying, well, if, if media can go in, if the premier can go in, you know, when can we go in or why can't we go in? And of course, you know, it's important to remember that it's still a disaster zone. And it's one thing to take a small group of select media who applied for this into in a controlled group that can be watched and, you know, monitored and, and kept safe. It's another thing to reopen a place where you have power lines down all over the place. You can't turn the power back on. There's a potential for ruptured gas lines. You don't have a, you may have not have a working sewage system, running water. These are critical things you need to have a community, a city of 80,000 people up and running. So they need to get, you know, that key public infrastructure back in place before they can really let people in. You know, you need to have a city where police can do their job effectively, where healthcare facilities can do their job 
you know, before you can repopulate a city. We saw it here with Slave Lake in 2011 on a smaller scale. And it takes a while for crews to get that critical infrastructure in place before it's safe for people to go in, you know, and they can ensure that people won't be hurt when they get in. Uh, I know that um, you you mentioned Slave Lake. Uh, There's also High River just south. And I know that they kept residents out of there a long time after the floodwaters disappeared. And part of what happened there has led to a distrust between the RCMP and, and locals and I've been getting emails from people who know that I worked on the documentary Broken Trust and and covered that extensively saying, hey, we don't want another one like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, are you are you able to get a sense of uh, whether the RCMP have different orders this time in terms of – and last time they, were, they kicked down 1,900 doors even in neighborhoods that weren't touched saying, well, we're looking for survivors. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, that it was later said by the, by the province that that – that wasn't, or by RCMP, that that wasn't handled properly. Um, I was in High River too, as I, and I was in Slave Lake too, uh, covering those things. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I do get a feeling that it's different. RCMP are sweeping the neighborhoods. Um, you know, they have to. Uh, they, absolutely, they have to. And there, and there are reports. There were reports uh, of looting, which you know uh, they say are unfounded, and I, I believe it in this case. Um, you know, we've seen inside of town, and it doesn't appear to be the case. We've spoken, you know, uh, off camera with elected officials who have been back in there, um, who have said they didn't see anything like that, and they don't believe there's anything like that happening. There was one report of theft. Uh, the RCMP tracked the suspect down and arrested them in their own home. Hold on. People are looting their own neighbors? We're hearing that's not happening. Okay. There were reports of that, um, and we're we're hearing that that's unfounded, and that appears to be the case that they are. People are always concerned about that, but it doesn't appear to be the case except for that one suspected case. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. (laughs) That is good to hear. Uh, Thanks for the time, Bill, and I hope you get some sleep over the coming days. I know you had a a rough few days up there, but, uh, of course— um, none of what you go through or what I go through is is near uh, what the uh, the actual residents have, have been going through. So That's our right. thoughts and prayers remain with them. Yeah, you bet. We get to go home at the end of the day or at the end of the week. Yeah. All right. And uh, an update, everyone. We are over $150,000 in climbing on our little fundraising drive at the Rebel. And if you want to join, it's rebuildfortmac.com or go directly to the Red Cross or wherever you can. Bill Forche joining us from CTV Admin. Thanks again. You're right. You're welcome. All right, this is Brian Lilly, Beyond the News. Stick around. We've got a lot more to come. Stephen Taylor coming up on the Facebook issue. We're going to speak with MP Bob Sopak about a bill going down in the House of Commons, why it's a good thing, even though it deals with animal welfare. Yeah, you heard that right. Back in moments. He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Facebook doesn't like conservatives. Yeah, you heard that right. I've been getting a feeling for a while and, and hearing from people. On Twitter, they call it shadow banning. On Facebook, I haven't heard a name for it, but I've been getting the sense that some posts that I put up don't do that well. Sometimes they do great. If I post about Justin Trudeau, he can be doing anything. Uh, people click on him because they either love him or they hate him. But other stories, you think, wow, that's people aren't sharing that. It's not actually even being seen by people. It's not showing up in feeds. Why is that? Well, on certain issues, it may be because even if something's trending, 
the people that curate the trending section over at Facebook have been instructed not to push conservative stories, to push liberal stories that will that aren't even trending. Is this a, a an example or proof that Facebook doesn't like conservatives? Stephen Taylor is a longtime conservative activist. He's a news editor over at News Hub Nation. He is someone who's worked with me before on Facebook-related projects. And, Stephen, that's why I wanted to reach out to you today. I'm not sure I know anybody that uh, has worked as extensively on Facebook as you. What do you make of this story? Well, it's it's a bit troubling, uh, to say the least. Uh, so the trending topics section, we've all seen it on Facebook and we've seen it on Twitter course, that's this uh, well, it's not supposed to be curated. It's actually supposed to be quite organic. Uh, whatever people are posting about uh, rises to the top. But you'll notice that on Facebook, it is a bit more curated because um, instead of, you know, a keyword that'll be trending, um, they'll sort of describe the event instead. And it's it's been known for a while that Facebook has hired uh, former journalists uh, to uh, curate those topics. And as well, we've seen with Twitter, they've got uh, Twitter moments as well. So what we're seeing is on, on Facebook, uh, the selection of different stories, whether or not they're trending, are being injected, as they say, into uh, into the mix and the trending topics list uh, where they might not be trending. And some conservative topics like uh, CPAC in the United States or our friend Steven Crowder, who produces some great content, sometimes his stuff uh, doesn't... Uh, uh, reach the trending list because um, uh, allegedly it's been uh, it's been snubbed. They're, they're essentially suppressing. This is from Gizmodo, an online site in the states, and and they've spoken to several people. So I want to read from this again. Headline is: Former Facebook workers we routinely suppressed conservative news. It was published today at nine ten. Facebook workers routinely suppress news stories of interest to conservative readers from the social network's influential trending news section. According to a former journalist who worked on the project, this individual says that workers prevented stories about the right or right-wing CPAC gathering. That's a huge event in Washington. It would absolutely be trending. You and I have both been to CPAC over the years. Yeah. But they prevented CPAC from trending, Mitt Romney, Rand Paul, and other conservative topics from appearing. Yeah, and uh, so I just want to read a little bit more. Several former Facebook quote unquote news curators, as they were known internally, also told Gizmodo that they were instructed to artificially inject selected stories into the trending news module, even if they weren't popular enough to warrant inclusion or in some cases weren't trending at all. Yeah, well, look, um, Donald Trump's one of the biggest stories in the United States, and uh, he's another one of these uh, types of political figures, love him or hate him. Uh, he's going to get a lot of attention. And, uh, you know, you have to wonder whether or not um, Facebook news curators are um, pushing down mentions of that or, uh, you know, the whole the whole concept here is whether or not Facebook is uh, shaping the news, if they're a neutral platform or if they're themselves uh, a news organization like the CBC or like the National Post where they might have um, story preferences and, and what they choose to show. They might have their natural biases. But, you know, they should just declare it. I mean, they're a private company. They're allowed to, um, you know, have their own biases. But if they're going to present themselves as a neutral platform, especially one that, you know, does everything from sell advertising to political interests uh, to 
um, you know, allow people a, a free platform for free dialogue and free discussion, as one would hope a social network as big as Facebook would be. I mean, that's the assumption we're all under uh, when we joined. So um, I think uh, Facebook should, you know, just let us know what uh, what its intentions are. I haven't seen a comment from the story yet. Have you? Or from the company yet? No, I actually haven't even seen trending on their trending list. <laughs> well, that's because, again, according to Gizmodo, they are told not to. Um, well, allegedly, we'll say allegedly. I mean, it is Gawker Media, after all. We don't know. The, the, so. This is true. Uh, that they, They're told not to. And that's that's their prerogative. As you say, private company, we just really want to know what they're all about. We, You know, tell us where you stand. I mean, this is what I love about talk radio, is that... Y- you you make a stand, you say, here's where I am, and people can agree with you or disagree with you. They can take what I say with a grain of salt. They can say, oh, that's just literally through a conservative lens. That's fine. But if you know where someone stands, you know where to take them from. But yeah, but, but th- th- yeah. they want to be seen as just, we're, we're just there. We're neither liberal nor conservative, but they're pushing liberal stories and suppressing conservative ones. Yeah, and I mean, Facebook's doing uh, very well. Uh, its stock prices is... is- on fire, they're doing great on advertising sales. Uh, in contrast, Twitter, which has been uh, criticized heavily for its shadow banning and its uh, shaping of and its promotion and its shadow banning of trending topics that aren't um, liberal and that shadow banning topics that are conservative, they've been um, roundly uh, accused uh, of this. And right. their, their, their share price has decreased uh, from, I think, $80 to 15 this year. So. Fill fill people in on shadow banning because um, I I think more people, more normal people are on Facebook than on Twitter. Twitter is a bunch of journalists yelling at each other with some politicos in there. So but what shadow banning over on the uh, on the Twitter side? Well, shadow banning in general is the um, is if someone puts out a social media post, they won't necessarily know that nobody is seeing it because they themselves can still see their post is active, at least to them, but it might not be active to anyone else. So in other words, if a person is, say, a troll and they're just putting out a bunch of bad content, um, you know, they might not know that they have been banned, but everyone else won't see their post. So uh, it's sort of this, this frictionless, or at least that's what they like to think, frictionless approach to, you know, uh, culling the, the the bad posts. But, you know, the conservatives have been accusing Twitter of doing this to conservatives just for being conservative. Now, I have to say, I have not seen any hard evidence of this, but I will say that I have seen hard evidence of uh, trending topics, which aren't necessarily in Twitter's corporate interest, um, not rising to the top. So if there's some sort of a conservative, say, tongue-in-cheek kind of troublemaking, uh, as Twitter would think, uh, type of hashtag rising, you, you'll see that it all of a sudden isn't rising anymore, and it doesn't get the attention uh, that, uh, you know, it deserves or it merits as a trending topic. Now, this is an election year in the United States. That's right. Uh, both Twitter and Facebook market themselves to political people. Uh, I I have to give just a shout out because um, during the election, uh, the the last federal election, you know, the rebel is 
all online news, just like News Hub Nation that you started, it's all online news. We work closely with the social media site, so I don't know what's going on there. But Google put the Rebel videos, YouTube is the platform for our videos, they put our stuff right in the trending. It was there on a regular basis alongside all the major news networks of trending videos. And and I can tell you that at the time, that one of the people involved in that section over at Google was very much a liberal. She had been a liberal staffer before, after the election became a liberal staffer. But we had no issues whatsoever with being suppressed. Um, so this is an election year. The campaigns are going to be looking to place an awful lot of money. Both sides, I think that Facebook has to come clean on this or or it could hurt their revenue because politicians of all stripes and at all levels. And remember, it's not just the presidential race coming up. You've got uh, state races, uh, congressional districts, Senate, uh, governorships, all of that's up for grabs in November. And so is an awful lot of money that could disappear if people don't trust the advertising vehicle. Yeah, and there's actually a legal implication here as well. If if Facebook is, for example, providing Lyft, um, whether that's through advertising through uh, or Twitter, same thing, through advertising or uh, verification, verification gives um, an entity Lyft uh, in its advertising. If they're selective in how they sort of apply their rules to different players in the same political arena, you know, it could be argued that, well, there, there could be legal implications there on whether or not Facebook and Twitter are providing uh, the same benefit or a special benefit to one side or the other. And then they could be in trouble with the uh, Federal Elections Commission down there, I'm guessing, similar to uh, Elections Canada here. Well, I'm not a lawyer. so I, I, I I, I'm just guessing that if they're giving donations in kind, essentially, it could be argued that that would be a donation in kind. Well, it's something I would be concerned about if I were uh, taking a closer look. And if I were, uh, you know, if, if I were Facebook, I'd, I'd want to steer clear of that sort of controversy. Yeah. All right. Uh, Stephen, why don't you tell people what News Hub Nation is and uh, where they can find it? Sure. News Hub Nation is a website that is uh, trending on Facebook as much as it can. <laughs> 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 but uh, it's a um, it's a conservative uh, aggregation of news uh, that covers um, you know Ottawa and uh, also more uh, more Western Canadian uh, you know than you generally see on on typical uh, um, you know political websites I guess you could say. All right, thanks for the time, my friend. Hey, thank you. Stephen Taylor, uh, political pundit, activist, uh, now uh, a curator over at uh, News Hub Nation News Editor. I don't know what his title is. He's ST. That's what I call him. And I'm B. Lil. And, uh, and I'm silly. Very, very silly. We've got uh, Bob Sopa, conservative MP for uh, Dauphin Swan River, Nipawa, coming up later on on the animal rights bill being debated in the House of Commons. Lots of people want to make sure animals are protected, but is it... Is it a good thing this bill's going down? We'll have Bob coming up later to explain why. Yes, it is. And Dean Brown is out at the news conference that's going on right now introducing Guy Boucher. Oh, just wrapped up, I'm told. We'll bring you audio from that. We'll bring you Dean Brown from that. All of that ahead on Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA.
How much do you cry for prisoners? How much do you worry about their living conditions? I know that there are times when, yeah, yeah, there's a problem. It's got to be dealt with. You think of what's going on at the Innes Road Jail here in town, the Ottawa Carlson Detention Center. People sleeping in showers. Lack of proper medical care. Lots of problems like that. And that, okay, that's fine. Especially since many of those people have not actually been convicted of a crime yet. They're being held on trial. They're being held pending bail. All of that. Fix those problems. But then there are the stories that come out that just make me say, I don't care. You're in jail. You don't like bad food? Don't go to jail. You go to jail because you are, no, you've done something wrong. We all go to the hospital and we get bad food. You're just sick. I don't know why you're being punished with bad food at the hospital. And every time that I hear that hospital food has gotten better, you go and you eat it and you find out, no, no, it hasn't. It's still awful. And you know what else happens in hospitals? You have to wear those gowns. You have to wear those awful butt-showing-off gowns so that the doctors have easy access to you. (laughs) Which brings me to the next story I want to talk about. Prisoners in Newfoundland complaining about having to wear orange jumpsuits. This is from the Canadian press. It reads, If it's true that clothes make the man convicted robber Kevin Roberts says wearing orange overalls at Her Majesty's Penitentiary in St. John's, Newfoundland, isn't making him a better one. Here's the quote from Roberts. We're here to rehabilitate people, right? He said as he sat in a small interview room in Newfoundland and Labrador's largest jail. The clothing is not helping. Absolutely not. (laughs) The story goes on. Inmates at the penitentiary started wearing standard-issue jumpsuit suits, shorts, T-shirts, underwear, and sneakers this year in place of their own clothing in part to curb contraband and related bullying. The province has joined several others, including Ontario, B.C., Saskatchewan, and Nova Scotia, where inmates are clothed by corrections. It absolutely makes the institution a safer place for inmates and staff, said Owen Brophy, superintendent of prisons for Newfoundland and Labrador. We've had trouble before with contraband drugs being smuggled inside the clothing, cutting apart seams, placing drugs into it, and then sewing them up again, taking the soles out of sneakers and shoes and re-gluing them. Everything from needles to handcuff keys have uh, come into the penitentiary with the help of inventive sewing. So now they give him an orange jumpsuit. It's got some flip-flop slipper type things. And Kevin Roberts, convicted robber, doesn't like it. Here's a free bit of advice to Mr. Roberts. Stop committing crimes. You don't wear you you don't want to wear the orange jumpsuit. You don't want to be nervous in the shower. Don't commit crimes. He's not even waiting trial. This guy has been convicted. Convicted and he, he he's he's complaining that he has to wear an orange jumpsuit. Poor baby. What about the people that you stole from? What about the businesses that you stole from? What about them? As I'd like to say to the kids, why don't you go to your room and think about that for a little while in your nice orange jumpsuit? 
You know who would look really good in these orange jumpsuits, by the way? Kathleen Wynne. Wouldn't she look fabulous in an orange jumpsuit? Being housed at one of Her Majesty's big houses. The Queen's got a lot of houses. She's got lots of room for her. I think Kathleen Wynne deserves to be in there. Unfortunately, the Ontario political police seem to disagree, so do prosecutors. Uh, stick around. Bob Sopak, really, Robert, but I call him Bob. Robert Sopak, conservative MP from Manitoba, coming up on the animal rights bill that is going down, rightfully so. And then later on, Dean Brown on the whole new sense coach thingy that's happening out at CTC. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, back shortly. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Everyone likes the animals, right? Everyone likes the furry little critters. Everyone wants to make sure that animals are well looked after. That's that's what's behind the whole Earl's thing that we were talking about with the meat. But Sometimes it goes astray, like the Earl's thing with the meat. But who would be against an animal welfare bill? Well, apparently a lot of people, because just because it's for the animals, just like when people say, well, it's for the children, doesn't mean it's always a good thing. you got to look at it. you got to check it out. Well, Robert Sopak is a conservative MP for Dauphin Swan River, Nipawa. And he's also the party's critic for fish, wildlife, and conservation. Joins me now. Uh, Robert, good to speak to you again. Hi, Brian. Great to be here. Phil is in on this bill. What, what's it about and why be opposed to it? If it's for the animals, isn't it a good thing? Canada has right now, Brian, uh, sufficient animal cruelty le- legislation that prohibits, you know, the, uh, willful cruelty to, to, a- a- to animals. So, for example, if your dog is tied up in your backyard, you can't take a baseball bat to it. That, that's clearly illegal. The problem with this bill... And, is, and immoral. <laughs> oh, completely immoral, completely illegal. So, uh, willful and egregious cruelty to animals is against the law. Now, the sponsor of this particular bill, Nathan or Nathaniel Erskine-Smith, uh, li- Liberal MP, from Beaches, York, in Toronto, uh, he would have us believe that there's no uh, animal cruelty laws in this country, which is completely untrue. Now, the problem with uh, Erskine Smith's bill was that it uh, the language is so vague that it opens up to judicial interpretation uh, the potential criminalizing of tr- uh, tr- uh, traditional animal uses like hunting and angling, but more importantly, things like medical research. So the wording of the bill was so vague and so open to interpretation that the animal use community became uh, very concerned about this particular <laughs> I, bill. I didn't know there was an animal use community. I'm used to everything having community <laughs> thrown on it, uh, Robert, but... Animal use community? Well, I, I, I can't think of another way to put it, but, you know, the, the anglers, the hunters, the far, farmers and ranchers. But again, we also have, you know, the medical researchers, uh, you know, pet owners. Uh, uh, you know, so it's a lot. I can't think of a better term. We can talk about hunters. We can talk about anglers and so on. But there's a lot of animal use that goes on in Canada that's over and above what we think is traditional animal use. Okay, let, let's go with something that everyone can relate to and people will be doing very soon. That's heading out on the water, heading out on the Ottawa, doing a little fishing. How would that be affected if this bill were to pass? Now, it's a private member's bill. Those are sure. rare. Those rarely pass uh, or I guess more often, not rarely, but more often they don't pass than do. Right. But 
in an issue like this with a, a rallying cry of, well, it's for the animals, it could easily, you know, if it's not looked at properly, it could easily just people get swept up in emotion or they think, well, yeah, it's for animal welfare, let's back it. But how could this affect the thousands and thousands of people that whether it's every weekend, twice a week, once a summer, go out fishing? How could it affect them? Well, sure. Uh, just take a family going out fi- fishing in your no- normal fishing boat. They often have live live wells. So you catch uh, four or five wa- walleye, you put them in a li- live well. They're, you know, they're alive, they've got fresh water, and everything's all good. But over the course of the day, you get ba- back to the dock, and two of them are be- belly up. Well, did they suffer when they when they died? Was it cruel to do do that? See, because the bill, uh, Erskine Smith's bill, introduced the concept of neg- negligence. And ne- negligence can sometimes be just bad luck or clum- clumsiness. Um, often people uh, catch a fish and they put it on, on a stringer alive and, you know, to keep it fresh. Well, is that cruel? Uh, you know, so the problem is it opened it up. At the, the end of the day, the fish is going to die and go in your belly. Yeah, sure. You know, and, and the thing is, you know, we want to make sure animals are killed you know, humanely, but the language now don't take even a better example i mean what how do we cook lo- lobster we take a live lobster and throw them in boiling water or that, or throw it in water and boil it yeah well i yeah uh, but yeah so but the things alive because simply because if they if they die they spoil really really fast mm-hmm. so uh, that's the normal way to cook lo- lobster well you know is that cruel uh you know all of a sudden the, the it goes back in law brian words count and judges look at the words in a, in an act and they ask themselves what did parliament intend here and the wording of this particular bill was so open ended that all of the things that you and I are just discussing had the potential to become criminalized. And, and you you said off the top you think Canada's animal cruelty laws are sufficient. Uh, yes. But every parliament, there is somebody bringing forward a similar bill to this one. And so obviously activists don't think so. If this were to pass, I could see PETA or other groups starting campaigns and they would start with a, a significant restaurant, maybe here in Ottawa, the, the National Arts Centre, or they would start with a chain like Red Lobster and, and they would try and and shut down the cooking of lobster or they would go after uh, you try and force the, the Ministry of Natural Resources to go after people that are out fishing and, and one of the fish dies. Sure. See, this is what these active, these animal activist groups do. And, and bear in mind that all of the animal rights groups in Canada strongly supported Erskine Smith's bill. Because the way these people o- operate, they operate incrementally, just as you des- described. They're happy with five-yard gains, and they want to keep mo- moving the goalposts down down the field to and the and the touchdown for them is the end of all animal use. Now there's a group called Animal Justice Canada strongly supported uh, Bill C246. They want get this, they want animals to have the right to be represented in court. You can go to their website and you can see see that. What's the group's name? It's called Animal Justice Canada. They are a group of law- lawyers who uh, who t- have taken it upon themselves to institute an animal rights legal regime in Canada. In Canada, now they didn't say that when they were supporting Erskine Smith's bill. They would just say, "Well, you know, this is uh, improving uh, our animal cruelty laws and so on and so on." But go, go, uh, go to the website of these groups, and you will see what the, what they really want. And uh, as I said in Parliament today, uh, a person is known by the company that that they keep. 
And quite honestly, uh, Brian, I was as alarmed by the groups who supported Erskine Smith's bill as I was about the bill itself. Wow. So what's going to happen with this bill? My understanding is that you were worried that the the governing liberals would get behind it. It's one of their MPs. And if uh, a governing party gets behind a private member's bill that one of their people put in, uh, and this happened several times in the last parliament with your colleagues yep. in the Conservative caucus, yep. the governing party gets behind it, it pretty much will pass, even if some of their members you know, say, oh, well, I don't like it, so I'll vote against it. Um, does it look like the government's going to get behind this bill? You know, um, we mounted a very, I thought, I think sophisticated lobby cam- campaign. We talked with members of the animal use community from right across the country, and we respectively suggested to them to contact liberal MPs uh, to to state their uh, their concerns with this particular bill. We, we also took great pains, Brian, to never say this was a government bill because it was not. It was a private member's bill. So uh, I think it worked extremely well. The Liberal mem- members, uh, many of whom, for example, uh, Nova Scotia is home to Canada's fur farming I- industry, and so the mink ranchers in Nova Scotia, no- no- Nova Sco- uh, Scotia uh, galvanized and talked to all the MPs there. So that's what happened r- r- uh, right across the country. And, um, and, you know, if you're a Nova Scotia MP with fur farms in your, your constituency, you know, you're naturally sympathetic to uh, that in industry. So many of these liberal MPs, I don't think we're a very difficult sell here. So um, it, uh, so the, uh, the strategy worked very well. Uh, Camille Labchuk is the executive director of that animal justice group that you spoke of. Uh, I'm trying to remember which group she used to be part of, but she's been active with, uh, sure. w- with these types of groups for a long time. Now she's a, a lawyer. Uh, she was tweeting out, she's disappointed that Bill Blair stood up in the House of Commons to try and block a long overdue animal protection bill. Yep. So Bill Blair is against it. He's the parliamentary secretary for the Minister of Justice, so that's a good thing. Yep. Uh, Where does it go from here then? Well, um, you know, it has another hour uh, of reading, um, uh, of debate, and, and then it goes to, then there's a vote, and if the vote passes, it goes to committee for, for amendment. Now the thing is, the que- the big question is, will it even pass to, uh, to go go to committee? Okay, so, so it could be blocked from even getting to committee, which that's is right. probably the best outcome. Yes, it is from my my perspective for sure. All right, but this is not something that's going to go away, and it's going to keep coming back. And uh, it's um, it, this is why it's important, as you say, words matter, and it's important to read the law. Yeah, very very much so. And again. You know, uh, all partisanship aside, uh, I, I want to thank my liberal colleagues who uh, who spoke spoke to me about their opposition to this particular bill, to the ones who perhaps didn't speak to me, but I knew that they represented the kind of folks that I represent in my own constituency. So, you know, again, um, you know, there was I'm sure there was an awful lot of discussion in their caucus about this. So I want to thank them personally for uh, for taking it upon themselves to, to defend their uh, constituents. All right. So we all worked together on this one. We'll talk to you next time there's a hunting or firearms issue up, uh, Bob. It'll be my pleasure, Brian. All right. Robert Sopak is the critic for Fish, Wildlife, and Conservation, MP for Dauphin, Swan River, Nipawa. That uh, animal rights bill uh, looks like it's going down, and, and I think that's a good thing. You can't always just say what's well, for the children or it's for the animals and therefore a good thing. you got to check it out. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, uh, I'm going to share some of the thoughts that I, I put out at the 
event I was speaking at on the weekend on the future of conservative politics in Canada. And Dean Brown coming up bottom of the hour on the new coach for the Ottawa Senators, Guy Boucher. He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. You want to email me? It's beyondthenews at CFRA.com. Liam writes in, Brian, you might want to look at the TVO doc, Facebookistan. Don't know what that is. I will have to check that out. That in relation to the whole discussion around Facebook essentially shutting down conservatives, conservative thought, uh, conservative news stories. They suppress them while boosting liberal ones. They boost liberal news stories and try and shut down conservative ones. So if you want to email me on anything, it's uh, beyond the news at CFRA.com. And for those of you emailing and saying, where's Rob? Rob's just taking some time off. He'll be back at the end of the month. Uh, Campbell writes in about the uh, animal rights issue we were just discussing. An animal rights group is the only group ever to be charged for skinning an animal alive. They couldn't prove it was happening, so they did it themselves and videoed it. Pets claimed uh, it, it was cruel for KFC to cook chicken. Okay. I'll read that off air later. I shouldn't have done that. So on the weekend, I went and spoke to the Canada Carlton Conservative Association, and they passed around the the hat, raised $1,065 for the Fort McMurray campaign. There was one person said, pledged a $500 donation, and then we collected just under $600 uh, in cash on the spot. That's all been put into our fund, now over $150,000 going to the Red Cross, matched by the feds. But what was I saying to them? Unlike Hillary Clinton, I'll tell you. I was talking about what it means to be conservative and how the conservatives need to regroup. I'm going to be talking about this over the next several days, so I'll dribble out what was discussed Saturday over the next few days on the radio. I'll tell you little bits and pieces at a time. And part of it will lead up to something like the March for Life coming up on Thursday, because one of the things I keep hearing is conservatives just need to focus on one issue, one issue only. We need to focus on economic issues, not social issues. Well, later in the week, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about social issues that win. And conservatives can win with social issues. And the fact is the left does only battles on social issues. That's all they do. But just quickly on, I disagree strongly with this idea that the conservatives should only focus on the economy, put everything else aside. Ronald Reagan called conservatism a three-legged stool. You've got defense and foreign policy conservatives, You've got economic conservatives and you've got social. You've got to have all three legs holding the stool up or it's unstable. It falls apart. Same thing happens here in Canada. But on this idea that the conservatives were beaten because one group had more sway than the others, let me give you some numbers quickly. 2015 federal election, the conservatives pulled in 5.6 million votes. 5.6 million. That's down from 5.8 in the previous election. But guess what? It's more than they received in 2006 and 2008 when they won. But the difference is the liberals went from 2.7 million votes to 6.9 million votes. 
The NDP only dropped by a million. The conservatives only dropped by 200,000. The liberals found new people to come out. They had a lot of help from groups like Lead Now and elsewhere. But voter turnout hit 68%, 22-year high. 68%. That's what happens when people are going to change governments. It happened in 2006 when it went from below 60 to 64%, almost 65% in 2006. The conservatives beat the liberals by a million votes then. So the idea, the liberals could have had, or sorry, the conservatives could have boosted their vote count by a million, still wouldn't have beat the liberals in terms of popular vote. The outcome would be a little different. Some writings they would have won, but the liberals would have had more people voting for them. The lesson of the 2015 election is not to throw aside certain parts of the conservative coalition. It's to bring them together, but also to bring in people from the outside, whether they're disaffected liberals, whether they are people that are not voting, because even at 68 percent, there's still 30 percent of the eligible population not showing up. You don't win by shooting your your colleagues. You don't win by getting rid of parts of your coalition. You win by growing. You win by convincing. That's what the conservatives have to do over the next little while. And it's important that we talk about this as we head to a conservative leadership race, which the vote takes place May 2017, but the debate's already happening. The debate is already going on and it's going to intensify as we get closer to the conservative convention at the end of May. By the way, I'll be out at that. Be trying to figure out the the fine points of how I'll broadcast from there but bringing you the show from the convention floor. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Guy Boucher. We'll talk about that with Dean Brown next. Bruin thanks at the headman left point. Shoot score! A ball from Hedman! Yet another shutout for Ben Bishop in a game that eliminates the opposition. I would like to bring a pack mentality the defense structure that is above the opponent and deflecting to the outside rather than being below and chasing. Uh, that was Guy Boucher, the man announced Sunday as the new head coach of the Ottawa Senators. And, uh, Dean, we've been talking lately, and it's been about the playoffs, not about the Senators so much. But, hey, now there's good news for the Senators. Yeah, it's uh, anytime you appoint or hire a new head coach, it uh, it's kind of refreshing. It kind of gets everybody's juices flowing, and people can uh, talk about the future and what they expect and what they like and what they don't. And uh, yeah, it creates, there's no question a, a hiring of you know a major position like this creates a lot of buzz. Now, uh, uh, Boucher is someone that uh, be familiar to people that were watching a few years ago. He was head coach of the uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning. They took them to the the Eastern Finals. Uh, but he spent the last few years where? Switzerland? Yep, in coaching in Bern, yep. Okay. How major a, a league is that? Is that where you go while you're waiting for a job to open up here or what? Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's one, of the, one of the European leagues. It's, uh, it's, it's good hockey, not as good as the NHL. There is no league better than the NHL. But, yeah, you know, it, uh, there's been a lot of very good coaches who coach in Europe simply because there's only 30 NHL head coaching jobs and there's more than 30 world-class coaches. So... Uh, after uh, after he was uh, fired in Tampa, he didn't immediately get an NHL job and didn't want to be an assistant coach, so he went to Europe for a couple of years. And last year, Byrne asked him to extend his contract, and he told them 
that he was going to be coming back uh, to North America because he wanted to pursue, you know, the NHL again. So they basically fired him for lack of a better reason because they said, well, we got to move on then and we got to fire hire a different coach who's going to be here for the long term. So he's now his kids are getting out of school in Switzerland. They're moving back here and now he's got a job. Okay, so his record in Switzerland uh, coaching SC Bern was. 44-29 and 5 at Tampa it was 97-78 and 20. What what's his coaching style like though? Is he is he going to bring a different style of of coaching, different style of play to the Senators? Well, to be honest with you, most teams in certain ways play the same all the time. It's it's the buttons you push. Coaching is coaching is more than just a style, more than just Xs and Os. It's your ability to communicate with your players to get the most out of them, your ability to adapt to in-game conditions. So, yeah, he's he's a different kind of coach. You know, Guy Boucher is a very emotional, very intense guy, a very detail-oriented guy. Um, he's he's a, you know, he's like every other coach. They're all their own men. It's really not a, a cookie cutter in that respect. Each guy is his own guy. But he's a very high-energy, high-intensity kind of guy, and that's what he likes about his teams. He's, he's a guy that has had a great deal of success coaching power plays, coaching star players, uh, coaching offensive teams. And he seems like a guy, if you start looking at, as, you know, Pierre Dorian said, you know, he checks off a lot of the boxes about what Ottawa's been looking for. Okay. So, I mean, I'm guessing we're just going to have to wait and see, but um, he's, uh, he's obviously generating a lot of buzz, as you say. He was doing a tour of the building earlier today before I was in. Uh, you get a chance to sit down with him yourself? Uh, not today. Too busy today. But I, I've known Guy for a while, uh, you know, when he coached in Tampa and, uh, uh, several years ago, when he was still in Tampa, I did a uh, I did a first round series for Hockey Night in Canada between Tampa and Pittsburgh. And in those situations, network TV, you get a chance to basically have your own daily sit down with the coaches. So got to know him then. And two years ago, I was uh, in uh, Switzerland and did the Spengler Cup for TSN, and he was the coach in Team Canada. So we spoke uh, almost every day. So I got to know him better there. And I, he's a once, once, you, once Ottawa fans get to know him, he's a very intense hockey guy, but he's also a great guy. He's a family man, has three little kids. He's, uh, he's a wonderful guy. Okay. The, uh, the rest of the playoffs continue at pace, though, and uh, Capitals came back on the weekend. Well, yeah, they, 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 they were pretty darn close. Yeah, they got a win, and they still you know, they can't afford another loss, so it's not like that series is, is over and they're out of the woods, but uh, they kept themselves alive, but... You know, once again, like we talked last week, you know, they they have to be the ones who dictate how this game is played. They are the ones who have to force Pittsburgh to play their game. And the Penguins are in the driver's seat right now. So Washington's the one that's got to get up off the mat. The pressure's all on them. Okay. The uh, the Lightning are the only team to advance through so far. So that's who, you know, whoever wins between the Caps and the, and the uh, Penguins, that's who they'll be playing. Yes. So uh, what... Uh, I don't know. What are you going to make of, of the next three series? They're all tied up 3-2 three, uh, three, right now. Uh, are we going to see a, a couple more go through now? You're going to, you know, I think, I think, what's, I think what's left in, these, in the playoffs in this round are coin tosses, you know. Other than, like I said, Washington on paper should be a better team than Pittsburgh. They just haven't played that way, and you've got to give Pittsburgh credit for that. You know, they have done a great job in getting a game plan to try and neutralize what Washington does and frustrate them, and Washington hasn't found a way to play its own game. Uh, enough. If you look at the other series, you know, um, there's there's been a lot of nights where it's been a coin toss, which is a better team. So 
I think one of the things that, that you're going to see out of this round of the playoffs is we're all going to be wondering, you know, what's left in the tank for some of these teams because we've seen a triple overtime game in this round. So, you know, I think I think fatigue, injuries, and bounces might be the things that determine, you know, who moves on of the three series that are left. Uh, you know, those kinds of things, those intangibles might be the difference because so far in these series, you can see there's not really much to pick between the teams that are playing each other. And, well, we're getting long into the playoffs now. Are they bringing? Are, are we starting to see injuries? Because this is the point where I think teams get banged up, and and a, a key injury or two can change everything. Absolutely, and especially especially a key injury to the wrong kind of player. You know, if you if you if you have your goal, if you have your starting goaltender injured this time of year. You know, that can be devastating. And it also leads to great stories in the NHL. You know, every, everybody looks back at, you know, some of, the, uh, some, some of the great stories in the NHL where, you know, you look at a team who had their starting goaltender injured and everybody thought they were done and they were out and a young goaltender emerges. You know, you look at the Pittsburgh situation. You know, there, there's a team that had their starting goaltender injured for the beginning of the playoffs, still isn't back yet, maybe back soon. But you have a young guy come up and, uh, and really, you know, take a hold of the the hold of the whole thing and 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 lead his team through a round and you know now through possibly two rounds and you get you get those great stories but by and large you know you don't see that often you don't see many situations for example like Tampa where you have a situation where two of your best players Stamkos and Strawman are both injured for the entire series and you still win that that, that that's doesn't amazing. happen that often you know, uh, and that, you're right that is amazing uh, Lee Versage uh, from TSN 1200 just walking by the window of the studio here at CFRA. He's wearing a sen- uh, uh, sorry a Penguins cap, so I think we know where uh, where Lee's cheering right now. Uh, you're not putting out who you're going for in these, are you? Well, go- going going for is a relative term. I- I'm not I'm not really a fan. I can tell you who I think will win, but it's not because I have pom poms and I'm cheering for them. It's, that Lee it's has pom poms. Yeah, well, Lee Lee has Lee is a guy who is is, and that's fine. I'm like, it's not like there's anything bad about it, but uh, Lee is a guy who covers sports, but is also a fan of certain teams, and that's that's great. The irony is, I can tell you that that hat is some kind of a a, a bet that he lost because Lee has been in hockey a lifetime New Jersey Devils fan. Actually, so, I knew that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, to be honest with you, for me. It's you know I'll I'll pick I'll pick teams like anybody else will but I don't pick them as a fan I pick them based on who I think will win kind of like the way you pick election wins you know what I mean like yeah. it's it's your job to break it down and you can tell people why you think this party or this candidate will win this election and it's not that you're cheering for him but someone's asking you a question and you're using you know your best information and your gut feel being an experienced reporter to tell people who you think is going to win not because you're there at their campaign headquarters with a sign and a drink. <laughs> Although I'm never opposed to the drink. Uh, Guy Boucher announced as head coach of the Ottawa Senators today, speaking with Dean Brown, play-by-play voice of the Ottawa Senators. Uh, he wasn't the only guy hired today, though, right? Mark Crawford also named? That's right. Ironically, left Mark Crawford, a former NHL coach and also a coach that has just come back from working in Switzerland and Zurich for a couple of years. So they would have coached he- against each other in Absolutely. Switzerland. Now they're together. Yes. So yes. What, what does Crawford bring? I mean, he, he, he had a, a Stanley Cup win going way back. Yeah, yeah. he uh, won a Stanley Cup when he was in Colorado, and he's, he coached in Quebec, and actually in the AHL, he coached in nearby Cornwall, a guy with a ton of experience and a great hockey mind. And, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the things today, these two hirings. You get, you know, you, you, I think, Pierre, I think the, the biggest takeaway for me is 
is that Pierre Dorian is really very quickly putting his stamp on this team and getting guys who have a great deal of experience but are different kinds of guys. You know, Crawford and, and, and Boucher are both fiery, emotional guys, but in different ways. And they know each other. They know each other really well. Uh, they've spent a lot of time. They see each other a lot. have spoken a lot. And so it's, uh, I, I really think it's a good news day for, for the Ottawa Senators. In, they're setting a new path in the way they want this team to progress. And it is rare when you get two guys who are applying for the same head coaching job and competing against each other for that. And you end up getting both of them, and it's because they want to be together. So that's, uh, you know, Mark, Mark, Craw- Mark Crawford could very easily be a head coach of many other teams in the NHL, but the Senators are going to have him as an associate coach. So it's a, it's a very good day for the team. Yeah, and, and if they can work together and put egos aside, because you're at that level, everyone's got to have an ego, uh, th- sure. that, that will be impressive. Yeah, and, you know, Boucher was asked about that today, you know, just at the media conference that I'm just leaving now. And, and he said it's, it's not about ego, it's about winning, and it's about working together to win. And, you know, he made the point that he knows Mark Crawford very well, and that's why he wanted him. He wants him because they know each other, they know how each other thinks, they know they can work together. And Mark Crawford did not sign here so he can submarine Boucher and get him fired so he can take over the head coaching job. <laughs> he signed here, you know, because there, there will be, there will, I guarantee you, there will be people who think that Mark Crawford took this job so he can be the first guy in the replacement line if Boucher gets, gets fired. Because there are some people who automatically have that cynical view of a hiring like this. But I can tell you that the people involved in this, they don't see it that way. Well, that's good to know, and we'll see what happens uh, come uh, September, I guess. Uh, Dean uh, Dean Brown is the play-by-play voice of the Ottawa Senators. Big news today. Thanks, Dean. Thanks, Brian. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Final thoughts coming up. Back in moments. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Oh, man. On the Drudge Report right now, uh, more stories of Facebook and their, their suppression of conservative news. Apparently, and this according to The Hill, Drudge just puts up the link. Uh, The Hill is a Washington-based newspaper, and uh, I don't sense a political direction from them, but they say that uh, they were told, do not put up drudge stories. Don't don't let it happen. Uh, Also, uh, the headline, not leaning in, leaning left. That just about says it all, doesn't it? It's bad enough that uh, conservative views are too often just mocked or given short shrift on legacy media. It's too bad that most of the newspapers and newsrooms around the country lean left. Doesn't matter what the con- what the columnists are. I can tell you, even at places where columnists and pundits and commentators lean right, newsrooms lean left. Basic fact. But now we find out that this place that we all go to, to share, and I realize it's a private company, they can do what they want, but this place that we all go to, 
to share information, to share stories, to say, hey, have you seen this? That they are actively suppressing conservative stories while promoting liberal ones? That's disturbing. I was speaking with Stephen Taylor about this earlier, and he noted that once Twitter started to get bashed for shadow banning people, for making tweets by conservative writers and uh, celebrities and, and so on, they essentially would make them invisible or barely visible using whatever algorithm technology they had. Once they, that became public, Twitter's stock price started to dive. Facebook needs to get out in front of this and, and admit if they're doing this. And if they are doing it, they need to stop. It will not help them, especially when their biggest market is still the United States. Let's face it. That's where the money is. Everybody's on Facebook in the U.S. When you've got a country that's divided 50-50, to say to 50% of them, we don't care about you. It's one thing here in Canada where you know, we all pay for the ultimate in left-wing broadcasting, that being CBC. But down in, in the U.S., it, it is different. Just want to say this on the issue of the state broadcaster as we go out. In Britain, their state broadcaster is being told to get out of the lifestyle news magazine type business. I've long complained that CBC uses their billion-dollar subsidy to be involved in everything but what Parliament requires of them. I have a video up on The Rebel later today explaining this. But in, in Britain, they've told the BBC, back off. You don't need to do travel stories and recipes. Stick to your knitting. Stick to what you're paid to do. It's time for someone to do the same to CBC. Back tomorrow, Brian Lilly, News Talk 580 CFRA.